Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Micro Fulfillment Opportunity with my friend Julian Surrett. How's it going, Julian? Doing good, Joe. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. This is a very interesting topic. I'm looking forward to it. We, had, we went and talked too long about the, your, your uh, company, so uh, I'm glad we finally hit record. Julian, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. So I'm Julian Surrett. Um, I work at um, Adabotics. So I'm in charge of um, an activity, a specific business model at Adabotics, which is delivering a full service. Initially, we are a robotics company. Uh, we have built the first 3D storage system that allows you to um, have a very high density storage and very fast retrieval um, uh, system for uh, order preparation in e-commerce and, and um, retail replenishment. And we have several business models. The initial one has been to um, sell our systems to anyone who wants to optimize their um, warehouse operations uh, when it comes to um, storing and retrieving goods. And uh, the other business model that we're developing now is a full service one. So it's not selling our system, it's proposing a storage, picking, packing, and delivery service, all this combined. So we operate warehouses, we, we take leads on warehouses in high-density um, areas, we um, hire people, we install our system, we leverage our robotics, obviously. Uh, we're going to see um, today, hopefully, that, that that's our main differentiation. And um, and we deliver. Uh, so we're partnering with um, retailers, brands, and 3PLs to offer same-day delivery, same-day delivery and storage in urban areas. And so I'm heading this part, coming from SoftBank, as I'm fairly new to Adabotics. Yeah, so before you go there, it's interesting you mentioned Adabotics. Adabotics. So how do you spell that again? A-T-T-A-B-O-T-I-C-S. And where are they based? So we're based in uh, Calgary, Alberta, in Canada. Very nice, very nice. And you were showing me the system, and I eventually we'll bring this up on the screen. So those of you who are listening to podcast, you need to, at some point, get to the video of this. But I think most of us, when you hear robotics and warehouse, you go, you have to envision something in your mind, which is, okay, pick something up, puts in a box, no big deal. The system that you guys sell is, it reminds me, I said space age when we were talking before. It's a very interesting and i've never very interesting system and i've never seen one like this it's and we'll, we'll describe it we'll show some pictures of it here at some point but it's it's not your average robot it is not the robot that picks one thing up and puts it over it is very sophisticated but also very efficient i mean it, it it's crazy but anyway i i interrupted you just because i wanted to make sure people understood when you say robot that it's just not one robot it's a system of robots it's a that, system indeed it's a system yeah it's like you know do you ever see star trek where they had the borg it looks like the borg <laughs> except it's not it's not evil it's nice <laughs> so anyway julian tell us a little bit about you where'd you grow up that is not a new york accent i hear where'd you grow uh, up where'd you go to school? yeah <laughs> hopefully yeah obviously you can hear that i'm from from france um, 
I'm, I'm doing my best to try and improve my English accent, but I uh, can't hide it. Your, your English is better than my French, trust me. <laughs> so I, I came to the U.S. about, um, yeah, five years ago. I, I grew up in, uh, my, my dad was in the, uh, the military, in the French Air Force, actually. So um, we, we moved uh, yeah, all around uh, in different countries. Um, what countries do you live in? So France, Germany, a little bit in the U.S. before, when I was younger, in Mexico as well. So a lot of different areas and, and even inside France in many, many different cities. We're moving kind of every, I think for all the kids who have parents in the Air Force or the military, it's the same thing. Like every other year or three years, we're moving around. So I think it gave me this uh, appetite for, uh, well, um, a lot of different languages and um, a lot of different uh, industries. So I've... I'm an industrial engineer by uh, training, and I went uh, pretty early to the Silicon Valley um, back in 2000. Uh, started to work in the semiconductor industry in a very large company called ST Micro, mostly in business develop technical business development. Already confronted to some uh, logistics uh, issue. I mean, everybody's talking about the supply chain constraints in the semiconductor industry. Was involved in some, um, yeah planning constraints and, and things like that. And then I had the opportunity to uh, join a very small uh, organization, almost uh, co-founding a um, uh, robotics startup in the um, telepresence um, industry. So very, very different from what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to see the connection. And then that company was acquired by another company building bigger robots that got acquired by SoftBank. So from an, an idea of going to a very small to living the startup life, boom, I ended up at SoftBank owning um, product, a global product uh, for all new um, robotics initiatives and all new robotics, um, uh, all new business models involving uh, robotics. We're going to see today that robotics is all about adoption and it's about creative business models. So I've been active in um, industries such as ag tech, retail automation, um, uh, commercial cleaning. And there's always a constant, which is how, how do we, one, it's about making processes um, more efficient with, with robotics. But very often it's about other other benefits, um, other benefits. And today we're going to talk about, yeah, speed that, that we need. It's and it's not about saving on labor. It's it's very often about speed and and for logistics in particular, it's about uh, about density. So anyway, from SoftBank, at SoftBank at some point we started to invest in a lot of um, logistics and um, warehouse automation companies. And my task was to uh, create new business models based on those portfolio companies and third-party companies. So quite clearly, when we were thinking about creating a new business model and, and a go-to-market in the U.S., it was obvious that micro-fulfillment was already a big thing. Uh, that was about three, four years ago now. And it's a big thing because if you want to move the needle in, in logistics today, usually it happens closer, I mean, the, the cost is, is higher when you start moving things uh, individually. And transportation is, is a very big uh, topic. So if you want to improve logistics overall, you need to improve this last mile delivery process. And you could think of robotics there, but it's not really how, how you're going to make it happen. The main thing that you need to change is where you store things. 
So I developed this um, uh, with, with the team at SoftBank, and I had to uh, select the best and the highest density storage uh, company and technology. And I selected uh, Adabotics at the time with my team. And that's how the adventure with Adabotics started. So when and why did you join them? You switched teams. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. So some point at SoftBank, everybody's heard about what happened with WeWork and things like that. So we decided to pause a little bit on some of the high capex initiatives and restructured and now i went back to um, working on ag tech and clean tech um, initiatives with my team but deep in me i i had felt that this was really a, a super transformative initiative um, micro fulfillment can really has the potential to change the way we uh, shop for greater service and for lower impact on our lives, uh, lower impact in terms of conge- congestion in cities, better service because we have the possibility to deliver things same day, and lower impact on the planet because um, ultimately we have the opportunity to change the carbon footprint of this whole thing. So it wasn't hard to for for um, uh, Scott Gravel, the, uh, the the founder of Antibiotics, with whom I had worked a lot before at SoftBank, to convince me to to join and lead this initiative. And very nice. So when did you join? Uh, about a year ago, in eleven months now. So yeah, and so <laughs> it's 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 interesting. Uh, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about Calgary, and I just mentioned I just talked to David Lynch, who's from Calgary, and I've got another guy on my list, Mike uh, Allen. I'm going to talk to uh, from Calgary, and all of a sudden, Calgary's become this. Uh, I mean, I know it's one of the more successful, if not the most wealthiest uh, province over there. I think, and. Uh, all of a sudden, there's all this tech there. And it's funny because I think we, we're used to the idea from the United States. You go, well, of course, there's Silicon Valley, there's San Francisco, Austin. There's traditional places, Huntsville and Detroit get overlooked sometimes, but we have a lot of tech just because of the businesses we're in. Calgary is a new one, but it seems like a good one. It seems like there's a lot of companies growing up there. Yeah, so there are, there are many interesting phenomena <coughs> interesting phenomena with, with Calgary. So first, there's... Um, very high skilled, highly skilled um, workforce. Um, historically, coming from the oil and gas industry, we've all heard that yeah, the oil and gas industry has had ups and downs. But it throws off a lot of cash, which invested in that. <laughs> so, so, so that and and it attracts a lot of uh, very highly skilled people. And and the truth is that for logistics, uh, but robotics in particular. We need um, hardware engineers, software engineers, electronics engineers. We need a, um, a, a lot of very highly skilled folks that were very happy to transition from the oil and gas to um, another high-tech high tech sector. So we, we had, well, as at Adabotics, the, the explanation is, is, yeah, the availability of these um, uh, skilled uh, folks. And then, and then uh, Calgary in particular has a specific um, uh, status when it comes to um, logistics, with a, in particular with their the, the airport status there. Yeah, and overall, there's been a lot of uh, dynamism in the, the community. Uh, very high-tech environment, very open, um, government very open for uh, to a lot of uh, high-tech initiatives. So definitely a great environment to start and grow a company in robotics. And logistics. Yep. And I would say, you know, we all know that the supply chains are going to become shorter. And we're going to talk a little bit about getting that fulfillment closer to consumers, but we're also getting our supply chain shorter, which is going to be better for the environment. We know we have challenges with 
we obviously lived through those challenges at the port in the last few years, but also there's challenges in Asia in general. So we're going to bring this stuff home. And what's really been successful for a long time, and we overlook it, is our partners in Canada and in Mexico. We're going to do a lot more business with those those countries. If you're in the U.S., you better get used to it. And I, by the way, I'm in Michigan, which where the vast majority of the cross-border and the activity is an automotive back and forth Detroit-Windsor. But I think you're going to see a lot more of that cross-border go- going forward. And it, and it makes so much sense because we have, like, if, if I was to open a fulfillment center on the border near Canada, it might make sense that that del- delivers to the U.S. We're going to have to change the laws a little bit. But it, it from a carbon footprint perspective and from I don't need to just keep building locations, we're going to have to get better at all these cross-border activities. And, and I think it's driven also, it's, it's fascinating what's happening in manufacturing. It's driven also by the um, a trend that we call mass customization. So we need things faster, but we, we also don't want to avoid waste and want to um, have products as customized as possible. So there's this, this idea of uh, late customization and, and repatriation of, of uh, manufacturing. And, and we see that firsthand. I mean, we use for our own manufacturing, our storage system to build kits to be able to um, manufacture and build our robots as fast as possible based on on demand. And we're seeing our customers using our tech, not only for, uh, I would say, traditional downstream logistics, but also for for manufacturing to prepare kits and and be able to uh, build the system last minute based on demand. Right. So we're going to get into the meat of this, which is the micro-fulfillment opportunity. But first, Julian, you're a Frenchman living here in North America, back and forth to Calgary and San Francisco. What do you miss about Paris when you are here in North America? <laughs> yeah, I think I was um, re- reading the press recently about our uh, this high-speed train initiative that we have in California and, and all that. I think I miss the uh, the connection uh, that you have in in Europe with uh, capitals or, or very different environments, just like one hour away. Everything's close. <laughs> in, high, in, in high-speed train. And that's a good connection with, with logistics, actually. I think there's a huge opportunity in the U.S. I mean, it was the country of, of the train at some point. I think I miss the everything close thing, but also the um, I miss the train. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm traveling so often and I'm spending a ton of time, a little bit less with COVID, but still a ton of time in the airport. Oh, yeah, that's no fun. So you want to get on a high-speed train and go from San Francisco to Calgary like like that and without the hassle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's one of the things. And then I was, I'm was i just back from um, a few uh, days of vacations over there also. Um, I think I'm missing, uh, you know, this pastry that you have in, in the morning, the uh, croissant, oh, yeah. pain au chocolat, and, and all these things. We can't, well, we can't reproduce that. Here. That, that <laughs> you, is a French thing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you find it here, but it's, it's like uh, probably 10 times the price it was it is, it is there. and um, Probably yeah. more caloric but, when it's uh, in the U.S. too, from what I can gather. But but I, I don't want to make it feel like uh, um, uh, I would prefer to go back to to Paris. I mean, the U.S. is is such an um, exciting environment to to be. We were so blessed to be. Uh, to and your Cana- and your Canadians too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. North America overall is is fascinating for dynamism. Canada Canada is interesting for being kind of the, the good. I don't know if it's the right term, but an interesting balance uh, between. Um, 
European mindset, welfare, etc., and the dynamism of uh, North America in general. I have a, one of my old roommate from college is from Canada, and I always say that you guys are always in Canada more kind of attuned with they're closer to North and they are North America and they're close to the United States, but kind of always in tune with Europe, where we we are less so. Anyway, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about micro-fulfillment. So why do I even have to care about micro-fulfillment? First off, what is micro-fulfillment? Why should I even care? Yeah, so it's coming from, um, I mean, there are many reasons to adopt micro-fulfillment, but as far as we are concerned, the big trend that that we see is the need for um, same and next day delivery. You, you can argue like about the percentage of products that will be delivered. And we all that want way. that. <laughs> we, we, we all want that. And there are many benefits. It's not, and I'm not talking about the uh, 15 minute delivery that's very popular in the press these days, but really about just getting things same the next day. I was op- operating a lot in Asia Pacific and Europe before, and it's about 50% of everything that's getting delivered either same or next day. In the US in 2000 it was 30% according to McKinsey. And, and it's growing. And this year, in 2022, still according to McIntyre, 70% of companies getting ready wow. to offer that level of service. So whether we like it or not, it's it's a phenomenon. It's, it's what it's, consumers it's want. <laughs> it's, it's happening. And it's, it's not just a another s- service that, like, all of a sudden we, we, we need or don't really need. Actually, there, there are many things associated to this uh, service level that are that – Interestingly, very good. Um, first, for e-commerce, when you deliver with that speed, you have a much lower return rate. And that's the super key. If I could offer something up here just to set the table a little yeah. bit. 10, 15 years ago, if I was uh, wanted to do some fulfillment, I would say, I want one location, maybe in Indiana, because it's one day to 65% of the U.S., two days to another. And and I might, if I was really successful, say, I'm going to get a warehouse in Indiana. Maybe I'll get one somewhere out west, maybe in Reno, right? And that would be it. That does not support same day, next day. So now all of a sudden, we have to get that inventory. If I'm going to do same day, next day, I have to have that inventory close to the consumers. And And before we hit record, we were talking about this is I don't if you, let's just say we're talking about San Francisco, I can't go to San Francisco and say, I need a million square feet of warehouse space. That is not going to come very easily. But what I can do is get a much smaller piece. So what would you say a micro fulfillment warehouse? What is the size normally on that? So it's, it's uh, dictated actually density of demand. It all comes from there. So you're right. The logic is I can't do same day if I'm not if I don't have my um, inventory in the open uh, lo- location, I want to deliver it. So from there, what's the space that's available for me to best organize my delivery routing? And if you want to have an efficient delivery, you need to be located very close to your customers. And you need to have in a 20-mile radius enough demand to load your vans with more than 150 orders. So it's all, it all comes from there. So then we can argue, we could say, hey, if you're lucky, maybe you're going to find a 100,000 square feet location. That's Which is still a big location. <laughs> but is it available? Does it happen? Well, what, we've, what we're finding, and, and we're going to talk about how we're deploying those centers, but what we're finding is that in terms of real estate, there isn't any uh, available area above even 20,000 square feet. I mean, it's really hard to find, but you find a ton of them very well located below 20,000 square feet. So that's kind of the sweet spot that we found. But again, in terms of definition, I think the the way to better position it is 
centrally located where my demand is. And it can vary a little bit, but it's all based on actually density of population. So it goes down to yeah, being in a very high density operate, um, um, area. And because of that, it's usually below 20,000 square feet because that's the real estate that you can find. And so this is this is the uh, when when we first talked, I was like, well, what does a robotics company care about micro fulfillment versus regular fulfillment? And then you explain that your robots, your I mean, again, I don't even want to call it robots. It's a system of robots is all about maximizing the efficiency, and 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 so you can use that density. So describe a little bit about how how you guys help micro fulfillment get more out of their locations. Of course, yeah. So you need a warehouse in this urban environment, and it's lim- you're limited in space, and you need to deliver those orders in a very effective manner, uh, so that same day delivery is affordable. So in Pick order to do ship. that, <laughs> you need to you need to store inventory locally in this small area. Now you could say I'm going to be very selective, and I'm going to take just five percent of my inventory and position it there, and and I'm going to direct my e-commerce website so that people just select this service level for this use. The problem with that is that you end up having a lot, a majority of split shipments. People order one thing from this urban environment and one other thing that's not located there, that it's in a remote area. So in this 20,000 square feet that I was mentioning before, you need to feed a lot of SKUs. Wait, so split shipments are bad. Why? So split shipments, it, it's um, the definition is that you're going to split something from one warehouse and in the same order, you have a request for an item that's coming from another warehouse. So all of a sudden, you're breaking the rule of the logistics of aggregating as much as possible. You need to ship from two different locations and that's totally um, yeah, defeating so the I, purpose. The unit economics is no longer interesting and the customer is not super happy because now there's two shipments. More carbon in the environment too, right? And, and, and yeah, a lot. Overall, a ton of inefficiency. So, so you need the reason why you need a high density is that you need to position uh, a high number of SKUs in that in that warehouse. And if you want to do that, you need to use as much as possible those twenty thousand square feet. So that's what we, we're doing with, and that's why that's a connection with uh, robotics. You need a high density. You need to use every um, cubic foot of this warehouse. So you need to use uh, not storage in two dimensions, but in three dimensions up to the roof and, and again, use every single cubic foot. And, and I'm going to share a, a video of the, how that happens. Uh, right. And, and before you share that, I want to just point this out is, guys, if you think about the average warehouse where you have all these shelves and you're walking up and down those aisles, get that out of your head because that is not what these guys are de- delivering. They're delivering, it looks like a cube that can, it can be a, a number of different shapes, but it goes as high as you need, it can go right up to the ceiling practically. And it has, it's get these bins that are traveling. They're almost like miners going up and down into the mine shaft, except it's not a mine and picking stuff up, automatic retrieval systems. And it's super impressive. So if you aren't, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, we'll do the best we can to describe this. But if you can take a look at the video. So Julian, please share that video so we can look yeah, at it. I'm going to share my screen now. Hopefully, we'll be sharing that screen. And again, this this is a different application in my mind for robots or a system of robots in that it's not about getting more efficiency day to day, which it does do, but it's all about getting density. 
All right. Can you see my screen now? I can see the the matrix. <laughs> okay, the antibiotics uh, logo, right? Okay. So yeah, as you were saying, Joe, we've designed the first 3D storage technology. Uh, that's leveraging every cubic um, foot of um, space available in a warehouse. I'm going to play this video now. So we're our inspiration comes from nature. Leafcutter ants store things in three dimensions around vertical shafts. So for those of you who aren't seeing, it's just a whole bunch of ants carrying leaves around. And you see how efficient and effective they are. And they all seem to love their job. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and they're really exploiting all the space available in three dimensions. So what we do is that you can imagine typical storage with 2D uh, shelves, with hives and shelves. So we compact in that into 3D structures with robots evolving at the top of the structure. So the structure can be as high as 30 feet or it's not even limited in height. But we can go to the, to the, up to the ceiling of, of the warehouse. And we have these robots diving into vertical shafts. And I'm going to pause the video here. And putting away here on the video a uh, the bin that they were carrying, and retrieving another bin. So they're evolving in the street structure. There's no aisle. There's just vertical uh, shafts that allow the robot to have access to every single SKU store in the stored in those uh, bins. The bins can be split in um, different partitions, so you can really store a lot of SKUs in the typical system. Play the video again. So once we've put away the, the bin that we were using before, we are retrieving another one, which there's an item that we need for a particular order. And then we're going to see the robot going to the bottom layer of the structure. And that's literally, I'm going to pause here, it's literally a saltation layer. So we're, we're doing two things with the structure and with the system. We're compacting storage, but we're also getting rid of saltation. And for people who are familiar with um, uh, logistics and warehouse uh, intra-logistics in warehouses, saltation can take a lot of space because it's conveyors position in a 2D environment and, and, and taking um, uh, a lot of your square footage. So with this saltation layer at the bottom, we're able to sequence the products and present them to a human picker. Could be also a robotic picker, but a human picker that can now pick the items that are needed for the orders. Our interface for picking is very uh, like super intuitive. It's uh, using all the principle of um, pick to, to light uh, systems and it's guided by instruction that are based on, on drawings and avoiding. You don't even need to, to speak English to use, uh, to use this system. Right. And if I could make a point here is, is I'm watching the video here for those of you who don't get to, it's basically bringing these bins or bringing the retrieving and then bringing to an operator who is able to easily do this work. So they're not running around. They're not walking miles. They're just, they're sorting, doing the kind of the human work that's necessary. And I guess uh, it, it, it's really an impressive system because again, you're making life so much easier for the operators. And, and also you're getting so much more density out of your location because there's not all that sortation space. There's not all those aisles. And by the way, nobody's getting on a ladder and having to go th halfway to the ceiling to check on some inventory. That's a very good summary, Joe. We, we fall overall in the category of systems that we call ASRS, automated um, storage and retrieval systems which do two things. Um, they, they usually go higher in density than uh, manual shelves, and they allow you to avoid to walk to every single product that you need to pick on shelves. So it's really about the density, 
and uh, fast retrieval and fast order preparations. And with robotics at Adabotics, we've pushed that to a the, the highest level. In terms of density, we have a reduction factor of 85%. So anything that would have required before, let's say 100,000 square feet, now fits in 15,000 square feet. And, and that, that's really the key element. When I was saying we only have 20,000 square feet in a warehouse in an urban environment, that's really key to be able to position as many SKUs as possible, right? Now we can we can store five, six times more SKUs than than in um, with a manual system. So let me let me just kind of clarify here. So like, let's just say I, I own a warehouse and a, a, a micro fulfillment warehouse, and I've got a hundred thousand square feet, and I've got a lot of business. I've got multi. I have a number of different customers, and I'm. I'm getting full and I'm thinking I have to move or get a new location. But if I get a new location, I have to decide, do I want to run two locations or get one bigger one? You could come in and and save me 85% of that space. And does that even work with multi-tenant? I mean, multi, multi, uh, if I've, I've, let's just say 30 different customers. Can it work? Yeah, of course. Uh, and that's, that's really one, one of the key principles that we want to exploit with the service that we're offering. And my rent didn't go up. I just, I more or less doubled the amount of customers or not doubled. I can. So our, uh, yeah, our customers can, can use our technology in several ways. One thing that we're, we're noticing is that it's not so much necessarily. I mean, it's of course about cost reduction when it comes to uh, the, the price I'm paying for my lease and uh, uh, the time I'm, I'm saving when retrieving orders in terms of labor. That, that's one parameter. But one of the key parameters as well is that I don't want to change to a different building. So when people are buying our system, they're like, well, I've got this current 200,000 square feet building. Um, I've got my business expanding. I need more space um, for, for my business. So how can I make the best out of my current building? And that's where we, we jump, that's when we jump in. And that's uh, a typical situation where, where they, they uh, pass an order for our system. They're able to yeah, do 5x to 6x on their storage capacity. So no need to change to another building, no need to change my logistical flow. I can just expand the capacity of my current buildings. Yeah, and you think of cities that when you have the density for opening a micro-fulfillment center, and that requires density, it's not, you're not going to get them all in the country, right? That's the New York City, that's Chicago, that's San Francisco, that is big in the in the inner city. Getting a ton of space is wildly expensive and to your point, maybe not even available. So getting the very most out of that location is absolutely crucial. And again, the old model for warehousing and fulfillment was I'm going to go in Indiana and I'm going to be 65% of the populations one day. That just, that's not good enough anymore because we want same day, next day. So we're going to have these micro fulfillment centers and they're going to be in urban areas or suburban areas, and they do have to be cost-effective. And when you have that high rent and that limited space, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. Let, let me quickly continue on the video here just to show how flexible the system is. So here you can see that we're compatible with many different geometries. It doesn't have to be a, a cube. It could be a rectangle. It could be an L shape. Uh, so we can, we're can we really able to go as, as high as we want, like, uh, in, in terms of uh, using the the uh, clear height of your, your current building. We've got systems uh, higher than th 30 feet today uh, in operations. 
And we can go, we can also have a very small footprint uh, system. And here you can see one that's typically what would fit in a micro fulfillment building. Uh, you just need a maybe a thousand, two thousand square feet, depending on the building you have, and you can you can fit the, the system. So it's, it's really flexible and it allows us to use every single square foot and and cubic foot of um, either our customers' current buildings or the buildings that we find for our own service. Yeah. So how long does it take to set something like this up? Like, give me a range. So if, if you're buying the system uh, from us, uh, the deployment time goes as, as low as, um, um, I would say, three months realistically. Usually the longest would be the permitting time. Uh, you need to get uh, authorization to install that from uh, the, the the county, from the, the, the fire marshals. From uh, You need to opt in permission to install the system, but it's, it's much more flexible than any automation that you, you you could consider in the past, for example, there's a parameter which is the how even your floor is, and we can adapt the structure so that even if it's if you've got a uh, two inches different from one side of your floor to another, we're still able to install the system. So we've got among the shortest uh, lead time in the industry, and that's, that's actually a very good um, question related to our capacity in Calgary to manufacture our system. We don't rely on third-party rack system manufacturers. We build our own aluminum structures because we have this awesome manufacturing capacity in Calgary. We've got this knowledge, manufacturing knowledge there. We're able to manufacture our system. So in terms of scalability, we, we are the, the fastest on, on the market because we have these internal things. It's really in- impressive. And again, guys uh, for, who are just uh, listening, just envision this giant box <laughs> that uh, is on the screen right now, and and then and uh, on the sides you have where the people would interact with this. So how how generally uh, do people react to people who are currently working at the warehouse? Do they enjoy working with these systems? Yeah, totally. So it's um, I mean in automation in um, general there there are s- several uh, topics, right? One is efficiency, and but. One very important point, and I've seen that in many different industries, maybe commercial cleaning, agriculture tech, et cetera, it's the acceptance of technology and how it improves my my daily work, not only from a bottom line or top line standpoint, but how what are my working conditions. And if we think about logistics, uh, storage in warehouses, working conditions are far from ideal. Uh, we hear that a lot in, in in the press, and we see it uh, first firsthand in our at Atabotics. But working conditions are not ideal, and there, there are several elements. One, we're making the job much more interesting because we're limiting uh, limiting the very painful um, work that's usually required to pick something very high on the shelf, something heavy in the shelf. I haven't seen it lately, but I know people get on ladders to do inventory. You guys can actually, this can manage inventory better than the manual system. Of systems. course, yeah. The system knows at any point of time, real time, what is in the storage. So, so I would think they would love to, I, I said it to before we hit record, and I really truly feel this way, is if I have a where, if, let's just say one of your child said, I want to go work in a warehouse. You'd be like, well, you want to be part of a warehouse that is has all the cool technology, so you can actually be part of the supply chain versus going into a location where you feel like you're just a strong back. And and we do, I've, I've had other people talk about warehousing technology. You got to make that job easier. But also, how do you attract people, especially young people who are doing that work? 
when they're used to every day walking around with this their phones and they're used to high tech stuff in their daily life, and then you go, okay, you're going to have this drudgery job where you walk around with boxes all day. So yeah, it's totally right. I think there's a it's very well known in the industry now. There's a shortage of um, labor uh, for for this kind of work. So it's not even a matter of um, saving on on labor. What's really accelerating the trend of automation is that we, we just can't find people who are ready to work in the middle of nowhere, uh, very far from where they're, they're living, and just the, the working conditions are not at are far from ideal. The other thing that's very interesting, and that's the link with micro fulfillment, is that. Because we are high density, we're able to locate those warehouses much closer to uh, yeah the urban environment, to where people live, to their community. So it's making overall working conditions well less painful inside the warehouse, but also you're working in a much closer to to, to where you live. I could take a bus or a, a, a train if I was in Europe, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're getting the one of the challenges. And I live kind of on the outskirts of the Detroit metro area, and it is harder to find. There's manufacturing out this way, mostly farms, but the manufacturing companies have to bus people in to come to these locations. And so they go to the they go to Flint or Detroit area to to bus people out here, and that's the, ideally if you have to take an hour bus ride, that's nobody no, nobody wants that. You'd prefer to say, "Hey, I work at that micro fulfillment warehouse. It's six blocks from my house. I walk over there." So I want to summarize some of this. So covered a lot of ground here. So we're talking about the micro fulfillment opportunity with my friend Julian Surrett. So we talked a little bit about the same day, next day. We all know that's required, right? So that means we're going from the old school warehouses out in the middle of nowhere to newer, smaller fulfillment centers in the city or, you know, or in the suburbs. They're not going to be out in the, in the sticks. And that gets that inventory close to the customer so we can support that same day, next day. But the problem is when I get into that urban or suburban area, I can't find locations or the locations are ridiculously expensive. I'm not going to get that huge warehouse. So how do I make the most of my warehouse? And you, what you do is you go get one of these, these super high density systems that allow you to do a lot with a little. <laughs> exactly. So, so we, we, and, and once we have this nicely located warehouse close to my, um, close to demand, there's one point that, that we need to address, it's, it's delivery. And what's fascinating is that things have been working, the industry has worked a lot in silos so far. Right. I mean, Amazon notoriously is controlling a lot of the logistics ecosystem. But what's interesting is that what happens inside the warehouse has not necessarily been optimized for the delivery part. And when you look at it, 80% of your cost is, is on the delivery part. So if you really want to move the needle... And if you want to offer a same next day delivery capacity to brands, retailers, in that remains af- affordable, because people are not re- ready to pay a fortune for that, you need to act on the delivery. And, and that's where the, the link is fascinating. We're not talking about robotics that's going to deliver to your doorsteps. Maybe one day it's going to work, but right. <laughs> I've studied that deeply, and that's not going to happen overnight. It's uh, We're talking about 20 years. The, the way you need to work is to um, apply the rules of logistics. And that's if you want to reduce cost and optimize your process, you need to aggregate more. The way it works and the way Amazon works today is that you, you feel advanced with a lot of orders. And that's how you achieve awesome unit economics. You need to be able to put more than 100, 150 orders in, in a van. And how do you do that? People, people talk a lot about the gig economy. 
and they make companies and people compete and try to lower the cost just betting on the fact that people would want to be aggress more aggressive on that cost but what we think is that we need to be we need to have a more um, a deeper approach to that and and work on optimizing the routing and the aggregation of delivery and again you can't address it with the gig economy what you need is a point of consolidation so the macro fulfillment center from which you're going to start and because it's well located because you're very high density because you have a lot of SKUs, you're able to um, have routes in a 20 mile radius and and have, have your van deliver in let's say in half half a day 100 to 150 orders that's how you go below the um, four dollars per order for each delivery and that's how the warehouse that we're building today, the micro fulfillment centers that we're building today, are totally optimized for the loading of the vans. Economies inside the warehouse and efficiencies inside the warehouse matter. We, we've seen that. But where we really move the needle is when you're able to load the van. And that's where we're using an, an, a second aspect of our technology. The first one is density. The second one is very fast access to every single SKU. So until the last moment, imagine you want to deliver same day, you've got a cutoff at 12 p.m. And you've got from, let's say, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. to deliver all your orders. Until the last moment of the cutoff, you need to reorganize your routes to make sure they're totally optimized and your loading is optimized. And, and an order can drop at 11.58. And that order could change the way you are going to organize your route. So you need to be able to retrieve this order very fast. You can't process things in wave and optimize during the entire day. No, you need to uh, retrieve this order, get this order at the very last moment, and and retrieve from your from your facility everything that you need to load the vans at, at 12 p.m. And that's where we're using not only density, but the very fast retrieval aspect of things. And the fact that we have this saltation layer that allows you to um, sequence everything to load the van in just less than one hour. I, no, I love that. I love that. And I think what, what if I could just reiterate in my own layman's terms here is, is first off, the gig economy is great. And we're all going to use the gig economy, but we need to drive the gig economy with the logistics efficiency that we've gotten used to, which to your point is it's not about going and picking up one thing and say, yeah, I picked this up and I dropped it off at Julian's house. That is not efficient. What it's efficient is I went to Julian's neighborhood and dropped off 30 packages. And then I went to the next neighborhood and dropped off 30 more. So we have to have the technology and the rigor and the efficiency that we're used to with the logistics world. We can use gig economy to do it, but we have to help them. You're right. That, that's a good, good um, precision, actually. It's not fundamentally the gig economy that, that is um, um, not working for that. It's the idea that we need one aggregation point. Uh, gig economy can still be used, but we need this this aggregation. It could be either a sortation center that's here, like the uh, depot from USPS, or a micro-fulfillment center. But what we're saying is that without aggregation, right. on average, the gig economy can have one, two, three, maybe four orders in the same car at any given time, but you never reach uh, a great unit economics with that level of aggregation. Yeah, and when you talk about that, you talk about knocking the silos down. We have so many silos in our business, and the companies we serve, whether they're retailers or e-commerce, they expect that there are no silos between a warehouse and transportation. And so what you can do also is if I get that late order, let's just say somebody says, if it's in by... If it's in by two, it goes out by 
end of the day. That means I have to kind of quickly get that order. Your order, yours, yours, yours is being mined by a, a robot that goes, picks it up, retrieves it in a minute, as opposed to, uh, I could say, Julian, go get that. And you say, God, that's all the way in the back of the warehouse. And I got to walk back there. And it's like a half a mile. Uh, that, the, and by the time you get back, assuming you picked it right, you miss the, you miss the truck. And that's a problem because now the next truck is no longer optimized because it's going out of its way. And so we to make the transportation efficient, as efficient as we can, we have to make the warehouse as efficient as we can. It's knocking a silo down. So I want to summarize this and I want, then I want to get your uh, final thoughts on some of this. But we talked about the need for same day, next day. We talked about we need that inventory close to consumers. And then we need to make those very small loca- smaller locations, the micro-fulfillment centers, much more efficient. We have to get the density. And the way to get the density is with a system like you guys have at Atabotics. And one thing I wanted to touch a little bit about is you say you guys sell these systems. So who do you sell them to? Do you sell them to third-party logistics companies or retailers or e-commerce companies? Yeah, brands, all, all, all of the above. The truth is that so it could be microfilament. It doesn't have to be microfilament, by the way. The majority of our current customers today just have a warehouse and they're looking at optimizing their processes. They want their, more from less. <laughs> in that in that warehouse, ex- exactly. And it's really any industry. Um, today, it's health and beauty, um, grocery. Um, you said auto parts is a good, auto good parts, application. Auto parts, fantastic example. At the end of the day, logistics is dealing with any any single product. So I would say anything that fits in the bins is is eligible for our technology. And we have the biggest bin of the market. So it's not going to be if you're selling lawnmowers, for example, maybe that you're not going to store your lawnmowers yeah. there. But really, we've got a bin that is about two feet by two feet by one feet uh, deep. So the, the truth is that more than ninety percent of anything that gets consumed most consumer products, yeah, in in any environment can can fit in there. So it's it's really not limited in terms of industry. So you can sell it to a lot of different into a lot of different applications. And you mentioned you would also have your own locations. What about those? T- totally, and and that's um, leading us to another point that's very important: um, multi tenancy. What has happened on, on the, in the logistics market today is that very few players, almost none, are really thinking of um, the right level of uh, aggregation. 3PLs have invested a lot in um, facilities for specific customers and have built custom supply chains. Dark arguably um, quite efficient. But what we're seeing is that except the top three and, and maybe a few more players, but let's say... Walmart, Amazon, Target can probably have enough resources to build a, an efficient infrastructure. But if you need to be present in, if you if you want to offer same day or next day delivery to your customers, you need to have more than sixty locations, seventy locations nationwide, and and very few brands can afford to operate these locations, and and for several reasons. One is you need to have the financial resources to develop and deploy all these uh, locations. And and the other one is that even if you're able, even if you have the cash and to do that, you need to have the right level of aggregation, right? If you want to have the right unit economics, if you want to be able to reach like $4 per delivery in terms of cost of delivery at the, at the last mile level, you need to be able to fill those vans. Is that a threshold that seems to be uh, in the industry? $4 or less is okay, but more is... Yeah, it's... it's uh, 
like if you use typically you, you can see that when you use a I don't know even if you ask Whole Food to deliver for you you're going to pay ten dollars so you can think of how much they're what's the level of cost that they're they're facing but overall today it's about ten dollars for same day delivery if you have even the facility to deliver it from. And if you're using a, a van, you could go you could go below uh, below four dollars if you're smart about the way you're aggregating orders. But if you have a small brand uh, or even a mid-sized brand, and you're trying to deliver with your van in one urban environment, you're not going to have enough density of orders. So that that's why multi-tenancy is key here. Uh, you don't need uh, a thousand different brands, but you need to aggregate with. Um, 10, 20, ideally 50 other other brands and then you have the right density and then if you use micro fulfillment in a wise way you can you can compete with Amazon so we're, that's really what we're doing with multi-tenancy, high density, fast order preparation and right optimization we're providing an alternative for businesses to the Amazon service level some people could do that from the store but it's highly inefficient so it's really today on the market you have just two options Amazon or your own store but you don't have the right level of aggregation at the store level, and it's inefficient. So we're, we're providing this alternative, and it has to be multi-tenant. Uh, so that's why we're, we're offering this service. So you mentioned uh, when we were prepping that you guys are going to open some of your own locations. Talk a little bit about that. So as I was saying, the, the roadmap is to cover um, cover the, uh, the the U.S. So you, we're preparing for 70 locations. As we speak, we are uh, ready to open two of them, and we're going to start on the West Coast in Seattle and uh, Los Angeles. We're planning to open that uh, between the end of this year and the beginning of next, at the latest in uh, Q1 uh, uh, 2023, and then expanding. The good news is that we don't need an entire network immediately, just like Amazon has been opening Right, because this is all about the location. Purpose. This is the geographic location is really the key. We, we see a fantastic connection with how marketing is evolving as well. Marketing is becoming much more localized. Brands are embarking on strategies to say, hey, I'm going to offer, I'm, I'm going to use an influencer marketing strategy in one particular location in LA, for example, and then gradually offer that service level to other locations. So brands are totally aligned with a progressive deployment. And, and we're, we're following that trend. So I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. I'm assuming you work with any warehouse management system? Yeah, of course. Uh, so the t- two, two things here. One, when, we, when our customers choose to buy our, our robotic system, we make that uh, compatible with any of their warehouse uh, systems. The other offer we have is... Um, a combination for the grocery market in particular, a combination of the storage system and the software systems needed to manage that. And in that case, we offer our own warehouse management system that we're going to connect to our customers' systems. So that's case number two. And case number three is when we provide the full fulfillment service, we of course need our own warehouse management system and our own transportation system the key part actually here is the connection, is breaking the silos and have a system that is that works across what happens inside the warehouse and what's happen, uh, what happens when, when we load uh, the, the vans and on the road. So in that case, we provide our system and we connect it to our customers' e-commerce systems. We receive orders from them. Ultimately, that comes from the website. When you order something online, it, it comes to the uh, our customers' um, enterprise resource planning systems, and that system 
connects to our WMS or software system in general. So compatible with all situations, but in terms of WMS, to, to your point in particular, compatible with all WMSs when we sell our robotic system. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. This is, I feel like this is really a glimpse into the future because I've said before we hit record today that, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, somebody said, well, I want to use robots. You'd say, well, maybe in a factory, right? An assembly plant. I'm from automotive. We've always used robots. But when you talk about warehouses, there was always this talk of someday robots will do this, but it wasn't you didn't see it very much. We saw conveyor belts. We saw some robots in the Amazon facilities. I've been to some high-tech facilities, but what you guys have developed is really kind of, in my mind, beyond the conveyors, beyond that mindset. Really, it's the next generation. I mean, because it's so much more efficient with space. If I, By the way, if I had all the money in the world and I opened up a micro-fulfillment center, I don't know that I want a whole bunch of conveyor belts with people around it. I would much rather have what you guys have, which is utilizing all the space, not just on the floor, but to the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, I think what has happened lately is an acceleration of the adoption of um, of robotics and it's driven by several things. So we've talked about the efficiencies that you get and the, um, the there's a cost reduction aspect to it for labor and, and the space that you need. But it, it goes beyond that. It's that you, you need um, robotics to even consider a new business model. Without high density, you can't have micro fulfillment. Without fast order retrieval, you can't load the van and offer same next day delivery. And it's not something that is, is pushed by robotics and driven by cost only. It's, it's, um, it's driven by uh, the need for higher service levels. And when you think about it, when you think about um, uh, what we're really automating, it, it's not with e-commerce, I mean, it's not necessarily the job in the warehouse or, or in the retail store. It's it's you and I going to the retail store and, and pushing a cart and, and picking uh, things and, and, and for, for grocery in this in this example, but for any yeah, any any purchase. Um, so so I think altogether it's pushed by more um, one e-commerce certainly is pushing in a, in a way the adoption of um, automation. And, and second is the uh, the need for a better service level and ultimately a, a more efficient uh, supply chain. And I think we all have, we've seen the effect of uh, the heat waves recently and everything, the impact on on, on carbon of, of supply chains. I think there's a fantastic opportunity of alignment, actually cost reduction, higher service levels and lower carbon footprint are perfectly aligned. And I think that's, it's one of the most fascinating things these days. If I reduce my carbon footprint, I'm going to reduce my cost as well, and it's going to be better for it's going to win, be better win, for win. the planet, <laughs> and and it's going to be a higher level of service. I think what, what what we're developing is yeah, same day service, lower carbon footprint, at the same cost and and lower impact than a five day delivery service with higher convenience and and everything, and that's all enabled by. By, by robotics. Then robotics has benefited other things like um, lower cost of sensors, computing power, etc. But but I think there's uh, some more fundamental market trends that have pushed robotics further. Right. Excellent. Excellent. So, Julian, final thoughts on this big old topic. Put a bow on it. Yeah, I think uh, as yeah, I was just just describing that. That's probably the the most um, 
uh, transformational thing that, that has happened lately when we consider automation, the repatriation of uh, manufacturing, the fact that we want to be, we want to offer a better level of service. We want to lower the carbon footprint, lower the costs. And it's just a perfect equation, a perfect alignment of planets these days between all these, these elements. Doesn't happen very often. Usually we get better service, but it's at the expense of uh, one of the other things, the cost of the planet or both. I think the fact that it's perfectly aligned these days is, is really um, the most uh, exciting that, that, is, that is happening. Same day, I want to emphasize one thing. Like um, people think a lot of the um, fifteen-minute del- delivery, uh, and it's very popular these days uh, with the um, convenience stores delivering super fast. I think it's more profound than that. It's really about rationalizing the way everything gets routed as efficiently as possible to the consumption point, and and it doesn't have to be. Um, we're not actually not targeting the 15-minute delivery thing, but just same day and next day delivery are perfectly aligned with, yeah, all the objectives of all the stakeholders. We've talked about e-commerce in general, but it's also manufacturing. It's also we've talked about car parts. Anything that needs to go to a certain consumption point can be leveraging these new trends of microfilament and automation. Just make our life in cities better. Well, thank you so much, Julian. What I'm going to do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to that video you showed us for, for anyone who wants to sh- click through and see it. And I'll put a link to uh, Atabotics and any other links you give me. But this is absolutely fascinating. I really do feel like you kind of gave us a glimpse into the future because um, this feels inevitable because we're going to want that. Uh, we're going to need high density for those micro fulfillment to actually deliver what we want it to deliver. So thank you so much. Th- thanks so much, Joe. And we'll be at all the shows related to um, yeah, micromobility, um, logistics, last mile delivery, et cetera, um, CSCMP, and, and all the shows um, in, in the coming weeks and months. So yeah, reach out on LinkedIn, on our website, uh, and very happy to uh, continue the conversation. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Julian. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everybody. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.